Hi, it's Lockie here. Welcome to the 2023 Checkered Flag Chat Season Finale. My good mate Shane Jones is back alongside me to dissect the Repco Supercars Championship, including our ruthless grades for each driver's season. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Our 2023 Supercars Season Review here on Checkered Flag Chat. Jones, we're going to go through and rate each driver's season. Before we do that, let's just chat some general points on the 2023 season. First season of Gen 3, parity between the Camaro and the Mustang obviously consumed a lot of the narrative throughout the season. But in terms of the, the cars and the overall quality of the racing, what were your thoughts on the championship? Well, hello, everyone, first of all. Uh, great to be here. Well, it's Great to be here at the moment. We'll wait and see how, how great I'm feeling once we've gone through the predictions and how right or wrong I was at the start of the year. But anyway, in, in relation to the Gen 3 and the package and everything else, ah, it, it's a really hard one because I think in some respects, in some ways, the, the package this year has been fantastic. It's been exactly what supercars is probably after. You want the big big cars, the big V8 sounds, the the racing that we've always had before. I think in all of those areas, we've got some big ticks, but obviously the parity is a major issue that definitely needs to be solved before the next season. But I think there's other little factors as well. And I think um, the interview with Shane Van Gisbergen that he did right before he left to go to, to the United States really summed up a couple of very key points. The first one is tyres. I think tyres influenced a, a fair few races this year and probably different races that we're not usually expecting to be influenced by tyres. So Bathurst was one of them where um, basically drivers couldn't push as hard as what they used to because the tyres would would um, disintegrate quicker than the normal and there were different circumstances that prevented them from going really um, at full throttle towards the end of the race. And then like Adelaide as well, we, we had some of the fastest times we've ever seen at Adelaide during qualifying in the race. I think the, the race record was broken at Adelaide and we've never seen that happen in the Gen 3 era in any other races. So, But in that race, the tyres were actually really good. They didn't really fall away. So I think it's critical in the off-season we figure out what the best tyres are for each track. And as some commentators have commented over the year, yes, these cars in some respects are slower than the previous generation of cars. But most people can cop that if the racing is really good. And I felt that we tried to put the right tyre in to negate that fact rather than actually provide quality racing. So I would much rather go, hang on, we need this tyre for this track, not because they're going to go quick at this track, but because it's going to provide a better better race than that. So I think that's one critical thing that they need to look at heading into 2024. And then obviously, the yeah, we mentioned parity. And just the other factor as well is we just probably need some of the other big guns, particularly from the Ford paddock, to really start fighting with the Camaros for the championship. And you'd expect that's probably going to happen with parity. But I'm really excited for 2024 because we've now got an opportunity with Shane Van Gisbergen out of the series. Brody's going to be obviously the, the champion elect and he's going to be the one that everyone's chasing after. But there's a pack behind that have not won a V8 Supercars championship before or Supercars championship before. And there's going to be an opportunity potentially again to have a first-time winner and some other young guns really taking it up in the sport. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that when we do our 2024 season preview podcast at the beginning of next year. I think probably the biggest tick for me with the Gen 3 cars is the fact that we did see some new teams joining the winner's circle. 
So teams like Matt Stone Racing and Team 18 that hadn't had the opportunity to win races before were able to do that. I think for me, the thumbs down aspect of Gen 3 was that the actual quality of the on-track racing, I don't think was any better than the, the previous Gen 2 cars, to be quite frank. For all of the talk about the facts that with reducing the aero, it was going to make the racing closer and more exciting. I don't really think we saw any evidence of that, and there were some races that were quite processional. I actually think we, we, we wound it back too much. I think we took too much aero out. So what happened was drivers couldn't drive it 110%. They, they could drive at 90 or 80%. We saw in a lot of races this year, and probably our big two events of the year at Sandown and Bathurst, drivers weren't doing huge lap times. They were driving to numbers. Now, that's an art in itself, and that's a great thing for the sport. I'm not knocking that. But we genuinely want to see a test of machinery, driver, and who's got the quickest car at the quickest time right at the end. And I kind of argue we probably didn't get that in reality at either Sandown or Bathurst. In the last 30 laps, they were pretty much conservative. And at Bathurst, well, most of the cars were starting to struggle to get over the line. So I think there's genuine things that need to be fixed up in a lot of different areas but in terms of a package that it's the first year it's it was there were multiple problems just getting it over the line i think for a first year with all the problems that they had previous and obviously all the teething problems that are to come i think it was a pretty good year but obviously there's plenty of room for improvement and i think that's where we need to go in 2024 we need to iron out all those deficiencies figure out what needs to be improved on deliver on that and then bring out a better year because we've only got 12 rounds again next year Mm. not a lot of racing and there's already been a lot of criticism about that but if you can deliver 12 rounds of action-packed racing because you've got everything in check with with the cars parity um using the right tires getting the right scenario set up it could be a really good season do you have a favorite race from 2023 oh Obviously, Perth's a standout. Um, the battle between Brody Kostecki and Shane Van Gisbergen for that battle. It's a bit hard because uh, there's probably a couple of personal favourite ones just purely because of, I guess, who won that race. I mean, if you look at the Darwin weekend in general, the fact that we got Mark Winsorbottom and Team 18 winning for the first time and then literally not long after um, Jack LeBrock and Team 18... Uh, sorry, and Matt Stone Racing. Jack already won a race, but obviously Matt Stone Racing winning their first race for the year. I wouldn't say that those two races were standouts for the year, but the emotion and the and the excitement in the paddock and everything else that those two teams had finally got their win over the line, I think was really great. I, I think I think for the battle for the battle of the year, Perth was definitely the standout, but probably for the race of the year, I'd probably argue Gold Coast race yeah. too, where where Brody and David Reynolds um, had a ding-dong battle at the end. You can argue which way you want to go with whether David stretched the rules too far to, to win the race. But at the end of the day, when you've got both teams saying that's a pretty good race and one that will instantly be a classic, I, I think that's probably the standout for the year. Yeah, I think I agree with you on the Sunday Gold Coast race. I think that was a demonstration of two drivers going at it really hard, you know, just like we like to see in supercars racing. So... Uh, that was really good. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to run through and rate each driver's season. We're going to revisit our championship predictions from the start of the year, compare each driver's final championship result to what we predicted. And I've decided that the way that we're going to grade these drivers, seeing as you and I went to university together, we'll do it with a uni grade system. So high distinction, distinction, credit, pass, fail. So 
there's probably only going to be a handful of drivers in your echelon then in the high distinction category. Is that right? Well, I think on my list, there's only one that I've given a high distinction mm-hmm. to, but we're going to go through in alphabetical order by team name. So we'll start off with the Blanchard Racing Team, which they're expanding to two cars next year, but they ran just the single car this year for Todd Hazelwood. I predicted that he would come 14th in the championship. You predicted that he would come 19th. His actual result was 21st, so he underperformed for both of our expectations. There were some glimpses of potential, mainly earlier in the season, but I think as the year went on, the lack of the second car at the Blanchard Racing Team really hurt with getting enough data to be able to develop the car compared to the other teams. He only got four top 10 finishes for the season, and I know this sounds harsh, but I've given him a fail because he didn't do enough in the end, to retain a full-time drive, and he's going to be on the sidelines next year. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that. I've actually given him a pass because I think there's a lot of factors that were outside of his control to really deliver on results. You touched on on one of them, which is the two-car scenario. And it was funny, at the start of the year, he was... Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't say it's funny, but he was commenting at the start of the year that having basically the only, him being the only data set for the team and everything else, it gives them a, a direction and a path that they can go on and those sort of things. And, and it gives him a bit of license to potentially move himself up the grid. Whereas I really feel that that hampered him huge amount this year. And I think in some ways it probably led to his downfall a little bit of not having a full-time drive, particularly with Ford having their issues with parity. So you, you have what is on paper a worse car than almost half the field already, and then you're the only driver in your own team looking at one set of data. So he might have looked at other data throughout the year, but it's probably unlikely. So while you've got at other four teams, two or three hands looking at, or maybe four um, sets of data looking at it and everything else in between, he was by himself in a situation where you already knew the package was struggling because on parity, it wasn't as good as Camaro. So I think in the way that the cards fell for him, I think it was really hard to then go and deliver a result. So I've given him a pass purely for that because I think a lot of factors were taken out of his control to to deliver some really good performances. But we've seen, we, we saw throughout the year that, he's, that his one lap pace was good enough to be in the top 10 shootout multiple times. He was in the top 10 shootout in the last race that he did at Adelaide. So I think you give him the right ingredients he can deliver the results. But I just don't think, and particularly in the last probably two or three years that he's been in different teams, the ingredients that he's had have not been able to give him the results that he's needed and deserved and probably warranted to keep him in the in the fold. And obviously he's got the circumstance where he's out of the sport. I don't think we'll see the last of him. I think we'll certainly see him in, in other, well, we'll see him in another category next year. He'll certainly be on the um, insurance grid for next year. And I, I certainly believe that he'll be back on the full-time grid if, if not in 2024, uh, 2025, then definitely in probably 2026. So, um, yeah, watch this space with, with Todd. But, yeah, I, I give him a pass just purely because there was a lot of factors outside of his control. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, if he spends a year on the sidelines, gets some good endurance results in a competitive car, gets some confidence back then, that might catapult him back onto the full-time grid. Uh, moving on to Brad Jones Racing, four cars for them. This year, we'll, we'll run through them in the order of their championship finishing position. So, Andre Heimgartner, you and I both predicted that he would come sixth. He ended up seventh, so we were there or thereabouts on the money. Uh, six podiums for Andre Heimgartner, but no race wins. I don't feel like he ever 
quite had the outright pace to win, but he often got good results through strategy and staying out of trouble. Tyre conservation was a particular strength, and in fact, his best chance of the, the race win was at Sydney Motorsport Park when he tried to do a one-stop strategy while everybody else was doing uh, two-stop strategies. Unfortunately, the safety car ruined the, the strategy for him and the BJR team on that occasion, and the DNF at Bathurst with the mechanical problem was costly as well. But nevertheless, the seventh position is still Andre's best result in the championship so far. And I've given him a credit plus. I, I thought it was a, a pretty decent season for Andre. I've actually gone two steps higher. I've given him a high distinction. Oh wow! Well, <laughs> if you look at if you look at the team, so look look at the team and look at where Brad Jones racing. Well, you look at the other three, which we'll get to in a, in a sec. Andre Hunt, Gardner, Brandon. Now, you'd probably expect him to do that, but I kind of felt that the team was really strong out of the blocks at the start of the year and probably should have capitalised and got a got a position, um, in got a, got a win in, in, in those races. But again, when you've got the two powerhouses in Erebus and, and um, Triple Eight pretty much dominating between them who's going to win, it can sometimes be very hard as the third or even fourth best Camaro entry to go and get that win. But, I mean, if you look at his season, he helped BJR to third in the Drivers' Championship. Yep. That's never been done before in their history. In the same um, championship. In the, yep. in the same championship. Yep. He's finished seventh, the highest that he's ever finished. If you take out... If you take out... Well, if you look at the top six, I mean, the two of the drivers... Sorry, look at the top seven. Two of the drivers are factory drivers for Camaro. The other two are Erebus, which is obviously the team of the year. You then look at Chaz and, and Cameron, who are the best two four drivers for the year. Well, they're factory outfits again. So he's probably the best of the rest. So he's done what he's needed to do. He's delivered on everything else. And I think he's had a really good year. And I think he's just led that team really well. And then if you look at the end of the year where BJR was really struggling, he was probably the only one that was a shining light. He did really well at Sandown. And they had some really good results towards the end of the year in terms of probably dragging a lot of good results out of that out of that car where it probably wasn't needed, probably wasn't there. So for me, I think he's had a really good year, and I think I think to me it's a high distinction. I think he's gone above average on, on what he's done for the year and and guided BJR to a position that yeah has never been done before. Yeah, and you're right. He definitely helps BJR to third in the team's championship. The other driver who was a big contributor to that was Bryce Fullwood. Now. He definitely exceeded our expectations this year because I predicted him to come 17th in the championship. You predicted him to come 18th. He ended up coming 11th. He definitely took a step forward compared to last year. He was much closer to Andre Heimgartner in both qualifying and race trim. He finished every race. His form dropped off in the last few rounds where, like you said, BJR was struggling and he slipped just outside the championship top 10. But... I have given him a credit. I think it was a commendable season of improvement for Dis- Bryce. Distinction minus for me. I think he had a really great year. He probably would have got a distinction, distinction plus, if he took out his last few um, races for the year. He was on track to finish almost, I think, right either right behind Andre or um, two spots behind Andre. And then in the last couple of rounds, particularly David Reynolds and Will Davison with their results they were able to leapfrog him but he was on track for a top 10 finish in the season now if anyone said at the start of the year that Bryce Ford was going to be in a top 10 spot at the start of the year you probably would have laughed and he almost got one so um, I think he had an outstanding year granted he took advantage of the of the car that was there and, and was able to um, to take advantage and deliver the results but as we've seen in multiple sport multiple motorsports and multiple scenarios 
you need the package. If you can get the package, then it's onto the driver to deliver. Well, if the driver doesn't deliver, he's out of the out of the seat. But if he delivers, well, then he gets the accolades and gets the credit that he deserves. Bryce certainly did that this year, and I think he had a really outstanding year and certainly solidified his spot in, in supercars where probably he needed to do that this year. This was a make-or-break mm-hmm. year for him. He made it. He's yep. got a two-year deal now, so we'll see if he can continue that into 2024. Keep the momentum going. So... From those two BJR drivers, we moved to the two who probably didn't impress us quite so much. So, McCauley Jones, my prediction 19th, your prediction 21st, his championship result 22nd. Not a lot of improvement compared to previous seasons. His best race results were uh, 7th, with the, which he achieved on two occasions at the Grand Prix and at Hidden Valley. I've given him a pass minus. There just wasn't enough improvement for mine. Uh, I'll give him a fail. I don't think it was good enough this year, and um, we've we've already argued about this multiple times. If you're going to continue to do this situation where you're not going to deliver on performances where you really need to, it just it raises whether you deserve to be in the sport or not. And I have no, I have no knocks on McCauley as a, as a person or as a, as a driver or anything else. But how long do you want to give someone an opportunity for? if they're going to continue to not be able to deliver results. And that's the critical thing with McCauley. He's had all this time to, de- to try and deliver results. And every year we've always thought, yep, he might take that, that, leap, that leap this year. He might take that leap this year. And he's just not been able to do it. And if you look at what happened with Bryce, this year was the perfect year to do it. The Camaro was the better car on, on paper. He should have taken advantage of that and moved his way up further on the grid, particularly beating some of the Fords around him that clearly had a disadvantage and just wasn't able to do it. So um, I, I do notice that Brad Jones Racing haven't entirely signed, sealed and delivered their um, their lineup for 2024 and McCauley is still a TBA. Look, I'd expect him to drive for next year, but at the end of the day, you just have to pretty much ask, how long do you want to continue this going on? Because if you can't deliver the results, then eventually at the end of the day, you, you probably need to give another driver a, a go at it and um, see if he or she can, can do the job. And one driver who's elected to do that and step away from the sport full-time is Jack Smith. I think it's fair to say that he pretty much matched our expectations because I predicted him to come 24th, you predicted him to come 25th, and uh, 25th was where he ended up. Um, I've given him a, a fail. Again, there was no improvement from previous seasons. His best race result was 14th. And, uh, you know, he's decided to take the step away from full-time driving and give somebody else a go. Yeah, I've given him a fail as well. Um, I, look, I don't like giving drivers fails. No, no, it doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't nice, sound does very, very nice, but... We have to rank them somehow. We do, so, we do. Yeah. We do. We'll give him 49. We'll, we'll just say that they made... <laughs> we, we, all, the, all the failed... Uh, drivers that we have on our list got 49 out of 100. <laughs> Much has been said of Jack and, and obviously what, what he's done in the sport and everything else, but I will raise one point. Sometimes you need to... Sometimes you can sit there and sit there and sit there and go, I've got this awesome gig. I can go and drive. I can do whatever I want. And you're in this tunnel and you can't sort of see out that your results aren't that flash and you probably need to step aside for someone else. And sometimes you, you're in that that zone where you think, oh, I'm, I'm good enough to, to hold my spot and, and away I go. Fair play to Jack here to admit and sit down and go, look, this isn't for me. I need to figure out something else to do in my life. Time for someone else to have a, another crack. And sometimes you've got to applaud that. Sometimes you've got to sit there and go, yep, congratulations to, for making that decision. 
look, at the end of the day, and, and it's the same with McCauley putting him in this in, in this talk as well, we're talking about drivers who, in, in some respects, are less than a second away from some of the top drivers in our category in this country. Yep. Now, you and I wouldn't even get within 20 seconds of those drivers. And in some respects... Oh, I'd like to think I could get within 10 seconds. My, my point is... I, I take your point. My point yeah. is it would take you a very bloody long time to get to that level of what Jack Smith and Macaulay Jones is doing. And, and you'd argue that there'd be probably 15 to 20 million of the population that would fall into that exact same category. And most of them are on social media and Facebook and Twitter going, you can't drive, you can't do this, you can't do that. Now, come on. The fact is, yes, they might have gotten to those positions through different factors outside of their driving ability. Most drivers in sport, in motorsport, have got there through different avenues as well. You can name any of the best drivers in the world and either money or the fact that their parents have been in a good position to give them an opportunity usually is one of the reasons why they've gotten their opportunity. It happens. Get over it. Move on. The fact that they've been able to be competitive in terms of getting that close for years and years is a credit to them. The unfortunate factor is they're just not good enough to take that next step to get into the top 10 consistently and push into the top five. Jack's made the decision to move on. We should congratulate him on moving on. We should congratulate him him on actually getting this far. And I believe he's also a national champion in Super 3 because he won that title. Correct. So he's a national champion. He's won a supercar series before. Let's give him some kudos, some credit. Say congratulations on a career well done. Hopefully he gets a few enduro drives in the future and hopefully he can go on onto a different path and, and flourish in that environment as well. Indeed. I, I fully agree with everything that you've said. Now moving on to Dick Johnson Racing and the interesting thing here is that Anton De Pasquale and Will Davison were the most evenly matched pair of teammates in the field with just 32 points between them at the end of the season. So with that in mind, I've actually given them both the same grading. So Anton De Pasquale, we both predicted that he would come fifth in the championship. He ended up eighth. And for Will Davison, I predicted that he would come eighth. You predicted that he would come seventh. He ended up tenth. Fair to say that DJR as a collective underwhelmed in 2023. But I think, you know, as I said, the drivers both ended up very close to each other at the end of the year. Anton De Pasquale had a couple of costly DNFs when the car was at its worst, when he was able to pull out some big results. The win at Townsville, the podium at Bathurst, when the car improved. I feel like Will Davison probably did a better job of dragging results out of the car when it was at its least competitive. And, and certainly in the first half of the championship, Davison was well ahead of De Pasquale on the points table. So with that in mind, I've given them the same ranking. I've given them both credits. Uh, I've gone lower than that. Uh, so I've gone pass plus for Anton and I've gone pass for Will. I reckon if you probably, if you were a non-fan of supercars this year and you looked at the table and went to say pick five drivers to who might have had a good year in those sort of years, I reckon not many would have picked Will Davison and Will Davison probably would go very anonymous at, in, in a lot of talks. He had a very anonymous year. He just mm. he went he didn't go missing, but he just he didn't he didn't put in a performance that went where you went, 
wow, he's on it this weekend. And there wasn't really a performance where you're like, oh, he's way off the pace. He was just that consistent between 8 and 14 and away you go. There was really nothing that stood out. That's not to say he didn't have a terrible or a great year, and that's why I put him as a pass. I think he just did enough to to put himself in a position to, to go into 24 and, and everything else in between. But he really didn't do enough either to probably stamp his ground and go, I'm here to stay and those sort of things. And I reckon 2024 is going to be a huge year for him because you've got Kyle Allen waiting on the sidelines, more than likely going to get a spot at DJR. So he's going to take one of those two spots in 2025. So if you're not performing in 2024, more than likely you'll be the one out and Kyle Allen will be the one in. So yeah, Will Davison for me was just, yeah, he just had a, a, an anonymous year, got some really good results at times. Didn't get some other good results at other times, but yeah, pretty much just dragged the car to where it needed to be, probably eked as many points as he could get out of it, and that was it. So hopefully the package improves and we can see the Will Davison of 2021 and 2022. But again, it's going to rely on where the package. For Anton, I've given him just a pass mark a little bit above Will Davison because I felt that out of the two drivers, he showed the most pace. He showed the most... He showed enough to, to suggest that if there was an opportunity for a Ford to get the right result that weekend, it was going to be Anton to do that. And obviously he did that at Townsville. So I kind of felt that Anton showed more pace than Will and Anton delivered and got better results than Will, even though his DNFs really hurt him, hurt him at the start of the championship. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned third at Bathurst, where we all know that the package wasn't great. Anton and um, Tony Alberto were standing all day. I thought that were probably the, the combination of the day. Um, because just with what the car could offer, they eat everything out of it to get that podium finish. And then obviously um, his te- win in Townsville, which was which was great driving, but also great strategy. But also you need a driver to understand what's going on and to take advantage of the situation. And Anton did that perfectly. And I think that that race was executed perfectly for DJR. And that was their race of the year by a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really their only highlight of the year apart from the Bathurst podium. But yeah, DJR have got a big 2024 ahead of them because if they deliver like this again and they have three teams in front of them from Ford doing better than them, and you'd argue at the end of the year there were three teams better than them, that's that's going to be a hard situation to um, to get out of. So mm. um, big year for them next year. Yeah, massive year for, for them and for both of the drivers. So from a team that underachieved... Uh, based on our pre-season predictions to a team that well and truly overachieved, Erebus Motorsport, Brody Kostecki and Will Brown. So we'll start with Brody Kostecki. So pretty embarrassing for us to look back now and see that I predicted he would come ninth in the championship and uh, you predicted he would come eighth. So fair to say that he blew our expectations absolutely out of the water by winning the championship. He was unflappable under pressure. Obviously, he had pole positions and race wins there, well documented, but he was also able to salvage results at events like Hidden Valley, where the car maybe wasn't quite as competitive as it was at some of the other events. Uh, Qualifying, he was particularly outstanding with nine pole positions, and the championship was pretty close for the first half of the year, but then he came out at Taylor Bend and just dominated three wins from three races. From that point onwards, he was never really threatened podiums at both of the Enduros and then in the last couple of rounds he he did what he needed to do to bank the points to ensure that he took home the championship and you know based on the fact that it's only his third full-time season in supercars hadn't even won a race before the start of this season 
Um, I don't think you can mark him any lower than a high distinction, and that's what I've given him, an HT. Yeah, he's got a high, high distinction from my end as well. Well, it's funny, his first ever race win was at Melbourne, and it was that farcical three-lap race that we ended up having. Whatever, if he read a book, or if he um, watched a movie, or if he... I don't know what he did on the, that plane trip back from America when he raced in NASCAR and then came back and, and raced at the Bend. Whatever he did on that plane flight, I want a copy. I want, I want it. I want all that self-motivation and I want it because whatever happened between that NASCAR race and the bend, we had a totally different Brody Kostecki in the second half of the year and it was the one that ended up getting the championship and he was outstanding in the second half of the year and was really unlucky not to get a Sandown or a Bathurst win as well. He was right in contention to get both of them. I mean, for... 85% of the Bathurst weekend, we all thought that he was going to win the, the 1,000 and he clearly had the best car, but just couldn't replicate it in the race. And there was a moment or two that probably the team would want back uh, in terms of decision-making to put them back out in front of the, the, the 97 of Shane Van Gisberg and Richie Stanaway. But that's what Bathurst is. If you don't take your opportunities when you get them, then, then the opportunity slips away. So when, when we look at high distinction, I would have him as 90 to 95 if he won as in 90 to 95% over 100 if he won Bathurst or Sandown. But the fact that he didn't win either of them um, and just a championship, I'd probably have him at more of the 85 to 90 branch. But hey, he's he's had a fantastic year. He's been the best driver. And we, you mentioned the, the rankings from us, the rankings from us at the start of the year where we had him a little bit lower. That was down to the car. We just didn't think that that car was going to be in that window to, to deliver him and Will Brown what it did this year. And I think if... We had a known that Erebus were going to be that a little bit stronger than anticipated. Then I certainly think we would have had Brody and Will a lot higher in our rankings. But that's the beauty and the beast of the of the start of the year. You just don't know what's going to be on offer. But Brody took advantage of it all. It's going to be fascinating how he goes next year because if you look at the if you look at the scenario, Brody never beat Chaz or Cameron Waters in the title race until this year. And you'd argue for three quarters of the season the four drivers didn't have the best package that they could have to put up a great fight to Brody. You'd expect now that those three drivers will have their best packages on offer to them in season 2024. Mm. So it's going to be fascinating. Is this just a once-off? Did Brody just get the best of the advantage, best of the conditions, best of the situation to win a championship? Or is Brody what we all think Brody is, an absolute gun of a driver, and he's going to come back out next year and go, okay, yeah, parity might be here, but I'm still going to beat you all. That's going to be the fascinating thing into 2024. And we'll talk about that more when we get to our 2024 preview podcast. On the other side of the Erebus Garage, Will Brown. Now, once again, he blew our predictions out of the water. I tipped him to come 12th. I didn't even think he was going to make the top 10. Uh, you tipped him to come 10th. He ended up 5th. But it was very much a season in two halves for Will Brown. So... To stick with the uni analogy, Will Brown's season had all the hallmarks of a uni student who got straight HDs in all of his subjects in the first semester, got a scholarship for academic excellence, but then partied too hard, got a bit distracted and didn't quite fulfil his potential in the second semester. So in the first half of the season, Will Brown had eight podiums, including four wins, but he only had one podium in the second half of the season. And in fact... After the announcement that he signed with Triple Eight, he didn't have any podiums at all. And from leading the championship at the halfway mark, he fell back to fifth by the end of the season. In those last 
events, the, the back half of the season, he was outside the top 10 more often than he was inside the top 10. So it was no doubt it was a great season from Will Brown, particularly the first half. But the, the fact that he fell away in the second half does affect his final draining, uh, in my view. So... I've given him a, a distinction minus. AFL player Brett Kirk said where... Uh, he said in, in one of these famous starts to the season where he did like this big speech. He's like, we're a weird collective bunch of people. And I like to think that Lachlan and myself are exactly that because I had that exact same analogy. But I replaced scholarship and partying with finding the girl of your <laughs> dreams and then getting completely distracted. I was going to have the exact same analogy. Basically, at the start of the year... He did all his studies right, was on track for a high distinction, found the girl of his dreams, his um, his distraction went somewhere else, and that, that's where his results started to fall down. <laughs> so I had exactly the same analogy. Um, I've given him a distinction as well. The thing is, though, we, we, we say that he, he slipped away, but you could also argue that there are a lot of factors that, that were out of his control that delivered some poor results in the, in the second half of the season. He was involved in a crash at Talon Bend, which ruined his weekend. You can argue whether he was in the right or the wrong with the Talon Bend incident, but it was clear that once you fix the car up, the car's it's going to be a struggle to get that car competitive for the rest of the weekend. Mm. So there's two races that he was already handicapped. He made a mistake at Sandown, which cost him a podium. He made a mistake at Bathurst as well, which cost him the car in qualifying. They had to start all the way back to back at the back of the grid. You'd argue again that that car probably wasn't 100% in the race, but were able to, they were able to get some form of a result out of it. Uh, and then obviously on the Gold Coast, he made another mistake where he crashed during the, the top 10 shootout, um, put himself back in the grid and probably created a situation where, yeah, he probably could have done a better result, but was handicapped because he was further behind. So it, it's a hard one in, in relation to that because there's probably there was probably a lot of points left on the table for him to probably at least finished third in the championship, but it ended up finishing fifth. So, yeah, a season of missed opportunities in the second half of the year, but certainly laid enough foundations to, to warrant and to, to certainly put out there that he is a champion of the future. He just needs to put a full 12-round 12, 12 or 12-month 12 season into him, and you'd expect that Triple Eight, he might be able to get an opportunity. And at the end of the day, he's going to be in a car that you'd expect to be competitive, you'd expect to be really good next year, and... I mean, the ingredients are there for him to do well. But yeah, distinction this year. Yeah. Grove Racing. So this was a team that had its ups and downs throughout the year. So we'll start with David Reynolds. So looking at our pre-season predictions for David Reynolds, I tipped him to come seventh in the championship. You tipped him to come 12th. He ended up ninth. So pretty much in between our predicted finishing position. The, the stat that I, I like most about David Reynolds' season is that after Bathurst, he was 19th in the championship. He finished 9th. So he moved up 10 positions in the championship in the final two rounds of the Gold Coast and Adelaide, where you would argue that he was probably one of, if not the form driver in the field. But that mid-season slump obviously put him a fair way back. On, on balance, like when you look at his season at a whole, he had some outstanding performances. He also had some pretty average performances. So... I've given him a credit. I feel like that's a fair mark to encapsulate his season as a whole. I've given him a credit as well. It's probably the opposite of um, Will Brown. <laughs> probably party too hard, too hard at the start of the season and then uh, realised that, hang on, my year's slipping away. I've actually got to do some things and, and, and actually um, study hard and ended up studying hard and, and um, yeah, absolutely going flawless at the end of the year. Uh, he sees when I was outstanding in the last few 
few rounds. And if you if you go further back, so if you look at Sandown, they were the leading forward uh, until they had the rear wing failure, which was out of their control. So him and Gartander were on track for a good performance at Sandown and were the leading forward combination at that period of time. And then look at Bathurst. Again, they were in a good position as well until they got that penalty, which put them back. Yes, they recovered a really good result, but that was because they used pit strategy and one less stop than everyone else to get home. Mm. But they were on track for a good performance there as well. So, I mean, the last four rounds, he was really strong. So you'd argue that if he continues those four rounds into the next season with um, Team 18, who knows what could happen. But yeah, his, his last four rounds of the season were exceptional. His first part of the season probably was question marks. So, yeah, I've, I've sat him in between. Yeah, a pass and a distinction gone with a credit. But Matt Payne, on the other side of the Grove Racing Garage, uh, improved as the season went on, showed really good pace, particularly in the, the later rounds. It took him a while to convert some qualifying speed into a race result, but he finally got the job done in the last race of the season at Adelaide. He was well and truly the, the best rookie by by the fair margin, and when you consider that it was his first full-time season in supercars, he was the, the absolute standout. So I've actually given him a credit plus. Um, just having a look at uh, his pro- uh, finishing position versus our predictions. So he was 14th in the championship. I predicted that he was going to be 22nd. You predicted 20th. So another driver who, who definitely exceeded our pre-season expectations. Did he have a better rookie year than Brock Feeney? No. Why? Oh, actually, so, close. So, 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 yeah. And this is the point yeah, that I want to raise. Close. Because yeah. Brock Feeney's... Brock Feeney in his Brock rookie Feeney year... Brock Feeney was more consistent, I yeah. think, and probably had a bit better race crafts. But then you can also argue the parity side of things well, as well. well. Well, for starters, he's in the best team yeah. with the best car. So all the ingredients were there for Brock to do well. It was just yeah. him getting accustomed to the car and then eventually in Adelaide he did. I'd argue that Matt Payne had a far harder initiation this year than Brock Feeney. At times, he had to deal with parity. At times, he had to deal with the car not being quick enough. At times, he had to deal with multiple factors. He also had a rookie at Sandown and Bathurst, and they... And, um, and Kevin Estra. And yeah. Kevin Estra. Mm. And Payne and Estra finished inside the top six at Sandown. So, and then he obviously went on to win at Adelaide. To me, he's, it's a high distinction. He's had, a, mm. he's had an outstanding year. He went above and beyond. He went above and beyond anything. And I think, in all honesty, he had a fantastic year that deserves... Yeah. I, I was tempted to give him a distinction, but I remember back when I was maybe at high school, might have been when I was playing piano and violin, and in one of my first music exams, the examiner said, you did really, really well, and I want to give you a high distinction, but because this is your first music exam... I'm not going to because you need to have something to aspire to for your next exam. So in in that vein, I'm not going to give Matt Payne a really good mark because there's still room for improvement. But I think a credit plus is a very good mark for your first season. I so, don't think yeah. we're here to tell Matt Payne, <laughs> mate, you've had this much of a year. We've got a little bit more of an improvement to do. At the end of the day... That's my methodology. Anyway. At the end of the day, if you had told me at the start of the year that he would have won a race or finished inside the top six at Sandown, and probably almost did the same at Bathurst if Kevin didn't make a mistake during during the 1,000. If you had told me at the start of the year he would have done that, and then obviously won a race in Adelaide, with the package that, that the Groves had, and obviously they've, they've certainly improved that package considerably over the last um, six months. But if you had told me all these factors at the start of the season with Matt Payne, I would have said no. 
Brock, I would probably would have understood the year before because he's been given a car that can win races. There was always question marks about the Grove Racing car whether it could deliver results. Clearly now it can, but we didn't know that at the start of the year. Mm. And we didn't think that that was going to happen with Matt Payne in particular because he's a rookie. So I think that the way that he's gone about his season and the way that he's 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 had the, the pace at the start of the year in terms of qualifying, and then over the year he's brought in that race craft, um, I think he's had a fantastic season and I think he's gone well above what anyone expected. He can genuinely win a championship now. He can genuinely be a star. He could be the next Shane Van Gisbergen. We all were like, oh, thank God we've got a Kiwi out of the sport who's going to go and do- who's not going to go and dominate the sport anymore. Well, we might have just found another one because Matt mm. Payne looks to be a genuine star and I think he's had a really good year and I think he deserves a high distinction. Fair enough. One of the other drivers who definitely exceeded our pre-season expectations is the first of our Matt Stone racing drivers, that being Jack Brock. So do you want to go back to our predictions at the start <sighs> of the year? No. No, no, neither do I because I predicted him to come 23rd. You predicted him to come 22nd, and he ended up 12th. In fact, if you look at the average of our predictions, he was the one who actually exceeded our pre-season expectations most of all. Very impressive first half of the season where he was firmly entrenched in the top 10, highlighted obviously by the Hidden Valley win, but he was getting consistent top 10s apart from that as well. Results fell away for him in the back half of the season, and he did fall to 12th in the championship at the end, but... Nevertheless, still a, a performance that well and truly surpassed our uh, expectations and it earned him a promotion to Erebus for season 2024. I've given him a credit plus. Uh, I've given him a distinction because I think um, if you compare him to where his teammate ended up, and we'll get to him obviously in just a second, um, he absolutely brained Cameron Hill this year and yeah, he dominated in that package. And there was a period of time where Jack LeBrock was probably the only driver who consistently finished inside the top 10. I think he was the only driver who finished inside the top 10 in like the first six races until I think he had an issue in Melbourne. So he was able to extract everything out of it. And the thing that really impressed me was that he was able to qualify really well and then hold out that position predominantly in most of the races. Clearly at the end of the year, as the teams got more of an understanding with their packages, the race pace of the of the um, MSR cars fell away. So that's something they're going to have to fix up in 2024 because otherwise they'll fall to the back really, fall to the pack really quickly, and then they'll come back to where they were the year before and the year before. But Jack LeBrock had an outstanding year. He deserves his opportunity at Erebus. I'm I'm curious to see how he goes next year. But in terms of this year, yeah, distinction. I think he he maximised everything out of the package. Got the race win in Darwin, had some really good performances and was probably unlucky not to finish inside the top 10 at the mm. end of the year. But 12th is a very good position for him. I think it was another one of those drivers that we were talking about at the beginning of the year as it being a make or break season. So there was a bit of pressure on for, for him to deliver, but he certainly did deliver. And in a season that could have gone either way, it's obviously he, he cemented his reputation and and earned a spot at the team that won the championship. His rookie teammate, Cameron Hill, finished 23rd in the championship. I predicted that he was going to come 21st. You predicted that he was going to come 24th. So our prediction's pretty much on the money for him. It was a solid rookie season, highlighted by some impressive qualifying pace at some rounds. Sometimes he struggles to convert that into race results, though. Sometimes that was due to factors outside his control. Pit stops, in particular, come to mind there. But to be fair, he also made some rookie mistakes, such as a crash in the last race at the Grand Prix and a turn eight qualifying shunt at Adelaide. 
at the end of the year as well. But from a you know the perspective of it being his rookie season, I think that it was still satisfactory. I've given him a pass plus. I've given him a, a pass. I think his yeah. year's been quite good without being extraordinary. Yeah, I thought Cameron Hill at, at times really showed that he belongs in the sport and did really well and he had some really good performances. And then there are other times where the package and him just didn't match and, and weren't really good at certain tracks. So he'll want to improve that heading into next year. It's just purely the consistency. If he improves the consistency and he's better at most circuits and, and sort of has the, the consistency of being inside the top 15 in most races, then that's the natural progression that he'll be after. That's the natural progression the team will be after. And he'll keep himself in that spot for, for another couple of years. But um, yeah, certainly in his first year, it was certainly a, a good, an okay year from, from him. It was, a, it was a past year. So that was Matt Stone Racing. Premier Racing is the next team on our list. So James Golding. I predicted that he was going to come 13th in the championship. You said 14th. He ended up 16th. Definitely an improvement on past form for the team. If you look at the team as a whole, I think they they took a step forward from a team that was consistently down the back to a team that was sort of midfield more often than not. But James Golding did lose out on a few results with mistakes, such as the spin at Surface Paradise, which unfortunately claimed the victim of Scott Pye. I gave him a pass for the season. I gave him a credit minus. He smashed his teammate, Tim Slade, and you would have thought at the start of the year that Slade should have beaten him, but Golding was able to beat him over the course of the year. He was probably the one that, out of the two premiers, that looked likely to deliver a result on a weekend. Probably didn't do it enough as, as expected in the team, but I felt he had a really good year. I felt his qualifying pace was really good. Um... Obviously, the execution into into race results probably wasn't there, but he certainly put in some good performances. Like I think they finished top ten at Bathurst, the race that you mentioned at Gold Coast. He still finished inside the top six, so he still did okay. So he certainly did okay, and there were certainly results there that yeah he was able to do really well at. So I think he had a, a, an above average year. So I think that's where I, where where I have him credit credit minus. Uh, Tim Slade, his teammate, so. I predicted 15th for him in the championship. You predicted 9th. Yeah. He ended up 19th, so well below your expectations and below mine as well. And it was an unspectacular season for Tim Slade. He got a glimpse of potential, but not consistently enough for mine, and I gave him a pass minus. Um, I've given him a pass. I think I think the year was okay. I wouldn't say it's a fail because, yeah, he probably just did what was expected of the year in terms of... Um, Results and those sort of things. There were glimpses. There were times where he showed okay speed. I think Sandown and Bathurst, the, the combination with him and Jonathan Webb were pretty strong. So I think there were times where things were okay. But yeah, not a season he'd be proud of. Um, and certainly in relation to next year, it's, it's a make or break year for him. If he does, if he performs exactly like he has this year, I don't think he'll be at Premier in 2025. And the way that Premier are looking, uh, obviously we're giving Cameron McLeod an opportunity in Super 2 next year. If Slade doesn't perform next year, then Cameron McLeod, if he performs, then certainly that will be an opportunity where um, Slade's out and, and Cameron McLeod's in. Yep, so I agree. He'll be under some pressure next year. Uh, team 18. So this was another team that broke through for its maiden race victory. That came in Darwin, courtesy of Mark Winterbottom. But that race win for Frosty was the shining light in an otherwise pretty mediocre season, it has to be said. So... If we look at our pre-season predictions, 
I predicted him to come 20th in the championship. You predicted 15th. He did finish 15th, so you managed to get that one spot on. I gave him a, a pass plus. Again, it probably would have just scraped a pass, but I think the fact that he got the race winner, Darwin, elevates that to a pass plus. There were some occasions where he missed out on points through no fault of his own, such as Bathurst, where he was the, the DNF on the last lap due to the fuel miscalculation. Yeah, I reckon if he um, got the points from that from that round, I don't think he would have finished 15th. But um, yeah, I think um, we'll get to the other driver in a second, Scott Pye. But it's a hard one because you want to give the team credit and plaudits for winning the race at Darwin and, and obviously Mark Winterbottom breaking that drought. But the rest of the year was really wasn't much chop. Yeah, yeah. It was a mere year. Yeah. Um, I've given Mark a pass. Yeah, they, they really it was, it, it was not a standout year for Team 18 and... Again, all the all the talk at, at the start of the season was like, we've built our own cars, we've done all this, we've done all that, we're really excited. Um, yeah, it delivered in one race, but it didn't deliver for the rest of the year, and there weren't really many other races where the teams were quick. Scott Pye was obviously quick at Gold Coast, and we'll get to that in a sec, but apart from that, the, the team wasn't quick anywhere else. And if they were, there would always be mistakes along the way that would nullify any result they could get. So, yeah, just a just a... A mayor here for, for Mark, and obviously next year is going to be really important in his last year at Team 18, and um, what happens with him after that, um, more than likely he'll probably go on and retire, but if he is wanting to drive into 2025 and beyond, he would need to perform much better than that 15th in the championship this year, otherwise then, um, yeah, the, deci- the decision will be made for him. And as far as Scott Pye goes, you predicted him to come at 11th, I predicted him to come 18th, so... Now it's my turn to do the ding, 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 because 18th is where Scott Pye finished up. It was a pretty lacklustre season for Scott Pye, and ultimately he didn't do enough to retain his foot on the grid, so I've given him a fail. Uh, I've given him a pass, but probably should be a pass minus. Um, The thing is, there were glimpses that he was going to deliver some results, and then just for different, like Gold Coast in particular, I mean, he should have finished inside the top six at uh, at the Gold Coast, and that, that sort of ended... (laughs) <laughs> ended ended really badly for him with uh, contact with Golding. So, um, yeah, there were glimpses that there was going to be something there, but then it just petered out and nothing was delivered. So, yeah, not a great year by his standard. Clearly, obviously, not good enough to, to warrant uh, a seat somewhere else. But I kind of also argue that I don't think he was chasing a seat somewhere else. He might have been chasing what Triple Eight ended up giving him for next year, which is the current co-driver gig and I mean obviously with a team of their calibre and two opportunities at Santa Ana Bathurst you'd think that he's going to start very heavy a very heavy favourite to take out at least one of those races next year so uh, he's landed a plum job for next year so it'll be interesting to see how he goes with that but yeah in, in relation to this year I I had him higher up purely because I thought the car package would be better and if that was the case then he'd beat Winterbottom and then they'd, he'd be high on the championship but the car pace just wasn't there at times this year and they just seem to struggle, and yeah, I think based on that, yeah, just a pass, pass, probably pass minus, to be brutally honest. So to Tickford Racing, and their highest place driver in the championship was Cameron Waters. Now, at the start of the year, you and I both predicted him to come fourth. He ended up sixth, so a couple of positions below what we predicted, but he had some miserable luck. The car fire in Darwin... Obviously, comes to mind the way of landing on his car at Sandown and then his co-driver, James Moffat, crashing out at Bathurst. But even despite all of that miserable luck, he still kept his chin up 
Now, he was on fire in the last two events with a pair of race wins. Um, I was actually quite impressed with Cameron Waters this season. I thought that um, even though he didn't end up as the, the top four driver in the championship, over the balance of the season, you would have to say that he was the fastest four driver, uh, particularly when you look at, at the qualifying results of raw speed. And, Jay, I'll tell you what, if they get the parity sorted out and the reliability issues sorted out heading into next year, look out because... I think he'll be one of the Red Hot Championship contenders. I've given him a, a distinction plus this year. A distinction for me. Almost an HD. Uh, yeah, I was very impressed with him this season. You, you kind of want to give him one mm. <laughs> um, through all the bad luck that he had. But unfortunately, um, yeah, I think there were times as well that, yeah, just just not there for the high distinction. But, yeah, he was clearly, the, he was clearly Ford's best driver throughout the year. I know there was one other Ford driver that finished higher than him in the standings, but... Let's not forget that it, there was 600 points gone from Sandown and Bathurst that he could have at least got maybe half of those points in, um, half of those points back in terms of points scored. So when you lose 600 points in, in that regard, and then he really should have won in Darwin before the car decided to um, beca- become a, a, a very expensive barbecue. Yeah, there's, well, there's 700 points that, in reality, he should have at least got 400, maybe even 450 of them. So you put that into calculations, he's probably third or fourth in the championship. He had a stellar year. I think he had a fantastic year. And as you mentioned, if everything's right in terms of parity and he gets the car that's on terms with the other drivers and it's talent that can bring the results, he's absolutely up to his eyeballs in the title hunt next year. But yeah, just I just don't... I'd like to give him a high distinction, but I just don't think his overall season... Warranted that high distinction, and that's why I think he just fell short. But yeah, certainly a distinction. He had a very, very outstanding. He had an outstanding year, and he's one of the top few drivers in the category. And we really knew that anyway. So three other drivers in the Tickford stable. Thomas Randall was the uh, the next best of the Tickford performers. I predicted him to come eleventh in the championship. You said seventeenth. He ended up thirteenth in the final standings. Started off fairly modestly, but gained momentum in the second half of the year with three podiums at the bend and then four top tens in a row, including another podium in the last two rounds at Gold Coast and at Adelaide. Overall, good year-on-year improvement for Thomas Randall, so I've given him a credit. Yeah, same credit. I think if you take out the first five or six rounds of the year, there were points, because obviously we now know that he's back at Tickford next year, but there were times where his seat was... Up in the air, we we were well, there, were, there were points where everyone was certain that it was going to be Declan Fraser in that second seat rather than Thomas Randall. But when when they got to the bend and then when he got those podiums, probably unlucky not to get a win there. But once he got those podiums and once that that set up his season, we then saw a completely different Tom Randall. And I think that's what really put him up into that into that what ended up being thirteenth in the championship. So that's the Tom Randall we need into twenty twenty four. And if we get that. He's going to be a perfect teammate to Cameron Waters in both of their quests next year to, to be competitive. And I kind of felt at the end of the year, there was a nice rivalry between both of them, but there was also a, a respectful rivalry where they were both helping each other to get to the four. So if that continues into 2024 and puts both of them into the championship calculations and then away we go, it could be back to the Tickford era when it was Mark Winterbottom and Chas Mostert and they were helping each other out to to win races and win titles. So, yeah, I thought Randall had a, had an outstanding season, particularly the second half of the year, which, yeah, which is why I gave him a credit. But, yeah, I think the first half probably prevented me from giving him a distinction or a high. 
he gets some bonus marks from me for his extracurricular activities as well because off the track Thomas Randall is outstanding he is outstanding with the media he does a lot of work in things like the online sim racing space where he's actually got his own quite high tech and advanced motion simulator set up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne he does a lot of work for, for charity with various cancer foundations obviously being a cancer survivor himself and we saw him racing in the Bathurst six hour during the year as well so in terms of the effort that he puts in off the track to promote the sport he's one of the very best in the field so like I said he gets some some bonus marks for extracurricular activities off the back of that he would be one of the first people you would invite to a dinner party that's for sure because he is certainly a very very respected driver in the paddock and very good bloke so yeah full credit to him James Courtney out of luck at the start of the year with the crash in the Newcastle shootout and then car catching on fire at the Grand Prix he had some decent results in rounds where the car was at its best but and he had some other not-so-good results as well. I tipped him to come 16th in the championship. You said 13th. He ended up 17th. I've just given him a pass. I mean, it wasn't a disastrous season, but at the same time, it also wasn't an outstanding season. And those dramas in the early rounds certainly cost him a lot of points. Without um, inflating your um, ego, I remember you and I having a discussion at the start of the year where... We were debating who was going to be the second best of the Tickford drivers. And And you said Randall, I said Courtney, and well, Randall ended up being second best. So credit to you for putting that through. Yeah, I I felt that um, James had a really, really disappointing year, to be honest, and that was actually his worst ever year in supercars. So I'm going to be really brutal here. I'm going to say failed. Yeah, okay. I I don't... Given the the car and what should be done in that car and everything else, I kind of feel that James should have done a lot better and um, should have been pushing up towards, particularly at the end of the year, where if you look at what Waters and Randall were able to do in the last few rounds, James was really not there. I don't know whether he was already thinking about Blanchard Racing or doing other things, but he really should have been closer in that in that scenario um than where he was and i felt that it just there there were times where he just wasn't up to the pace of the other two and i felt that there probably could have been better performances in there and i mean granted he had some pretty unlucky scenarios obviously newcastle but that was a mistake but obviously albert park where he had that fight that definitely wasn't a mistake and that was pretty pretty scary at times yeah i just felt that it was a year where I, i felt that James should have done a lot better and I think at times he should have done better and just didn't and and I don't think he had a a great year. So um, there's a lot of pressure on him at Blanchard next year because he's going to lead that team. He's got a very youthful teammate in in Jordan Love. Sorry, Aaron Aaron Love. So there's going to be a lot of of things that he's going to have to do next year. He's going to have to nurture and guide a a, a teammate that's probably going to make mistakes along the way, but he's also then got to take the team and lift it up to another standard clearly better than what it is this year so he's got a lot of pressure on him next year to perform as well but yeah I just didn't think that he did as well as what he should have and I don't think I don't think the results yeah reflected where he probably should have been this year final driver in the Tickford stable Declan Fraser so at the start of the year I said that he was going to come 25th you said 23rd he ended up smack bang in the middle finishing 24th in the final standings it was a steep learning curve for Declan with a number of rookie mistakes Given that it was his rookie year, I haven't failed him, but I've given him a pass minus. So I think he's just sort of scraped through there. I hate doing this, but I have given Declan a fail. Just purely for the fact that there were times at the end of the year where he was just 
completely off the pace. And it's hard because I reckon coming into the season, he'd been full of confidence, full of everything. He won the Super 2 Series. He got his opportunity in the main game. At the start of the year, we saw some glimpses of some really good performances. And at Bathurst and Sandown, him and um, Fraser and um, Tyler Everingham put in some really good performances as well, albeit the crash that he had at the top of the mountain at Bathurst. But at Sandown in particular, both of them were running around top 15 for most of the race. So ended up 13. There were yeah. glimpses of some good performances there, but I just felt as the year went on, his confidence just took a battering and took a battering and took a battering. And then by the end of the year, it looked like his confidence was completely shot. And that's hard. It's hard to get it back, and then it's hard to then deliver again and, and try and do it in a package which you know is the fourth best. No disrespect to Tickford, but clearly when you do a four-car team, you are going to get, in terms of the third and the fourth car sometimes, you're going to get neglected. Yeah, we've ne- seen that in the past. And I think if you cast your mind back to the start of the year, that was one of my main concerns for Declan coming into the year. Yeah. And I think you'd have to say that it so, played out that way. So yeah. foul's probably a harsh scenario. I'll, I'll keep it, but you probably it's probably more towards your past minus because sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of the instances that are out of his control certainly hurt him this year. But, yeah, I, I just kind of expected a little bit better from Declan. You're a Super, super 2 champion. You probably needed to, to deliver some better results. Did he have a top 10 finish at all this year? Yeah, yeah, he did. It actually came earlier on in the year, funnily enough, at the Grand Prix. Yeah, where he got a tenth place finish, and that was his only top ten finish for the year, which came in his his fourth race in yep. the category. So he got one top ten performance, but yeah, when you compare him to some of the others that were around that mark, well, he ended up he ended up third best of the rookies yep. out of the three rookies. Yep. Absolutely blown away by by Matt Payne, and in the end, finished behind Cameron Hill as and, well. And to be fair, the bottom four minus Cameron Hill, I've all given fouls to as well. So. If I'm being consistent, that's probably where the consistency lies. I've got to give him a foul. But, okay. but I kind of hope that he readjusts, re t- either takes a year at sabbatical or does something else, try and get the confidence back and come back. Look, there has been another driver in that Tickford, that fourth Tickford car that we all rode off, we all put in the he-can't-drive basket, and a couple of years later, he ended up winning the Bathurst 1000, well, this year, in Richie Stanaway. And now he's with Grove Racing for 2024. So sometimes it can be environment. Sometimes it can be just yourself and just being in that tunnel of no confidence. And sometimes there's a breaking point that can bring it all back. And we can see the the driver and Declan Fraser. Mm. So hopefully that happens. Hopefully he can get an opportunity again and we can see the best of him. But um, yeah, this year, I just don't think it was a great year for him. A couple of drivers that definitely haven't been given fail marks from us are the two drivers at Triple Eight Race Engineering. So Shane Van Gisbergen, I tipped him to win the championship at the start of the year. You tipped him to come second, and he ended up second. So ding, ding for you. I think it's very easy to judge Shane Van Gisbergen's season on the off-track distractions and you know his attitude towards the category in, in a lot of respects. When you take all of that away, there's no doubt that he still had some great performances when everything came together, especially Bathurst. Now, for a driver who expects high distinctions all the time, it didn't quite reach SVG's lofty standards this year, but it was not a bad season by any stretch of the imagination, so I've given him a distinction. Uh, I've given him, I've given him a credit plus, mainly for the fact that if you look at the start of the season, everyone would have had him as the championship winner. He didn't end up winning the championship. So in terms of in terms of what was expected, 
he didn't deliver on what was expected. But yeah, I, I still thought he had a, a pretty good season. I'd actually boost the credit plus to a distinction if you include his overseas results, particularly the Chicago race in NASCAR, because that was well, that all the time was a high distinction. Oh, plus. That, that was a hun- that was that was ninety nine out of hundred. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's. That, that's the exam teacher not giving you 100 out of 100 where it probably should have been 100 out of 100, but they just wanted to give you 99 <laughs> because they didn't really want to give you 100. But yeah, he won Bathurst. He, he did really well in that race and, and obviously ended ended that part of his career on a, on a nice note. But the rest of the year, was just a, it was just, it was tough at times. Just watching it on the sidelines and just, there were times where he'd be frustrated at the car, he'd be frustrated at his team, He'd be frustrated at the sport. He'd be frustrated at supercars. He'd be frustrated at Mark Scape. He'd be frustrated at... It was times where he was frustrated at everyone. And, like, sometimes you've just got to actually take all that away and go and do your job. And I know that sounds harsh, but if you look at what Brody did... So, at the start of the year, there were every... Like, everyone was complaining about the about the package or the car or the parity or whatever... Look at Dave Reynolds as a perfect example. Dave Reynolds complained about the package at the start of the year, said the Ford's a mile away, and then his first half of the year was pretty ordinary. And then finally at the end of the year, when, yep, okay, Ford got some relief in terms of parity adjustments. But clearly, it was all on the head for David because as soon as everything was cleared of his head, we saw what, what David could do. And if you look at Brody, the exact same thing happened. Brody was like, no, this is a new car. I'm going to take the new car under my wings and I'm going to just push everything out of it and do really well. He ended up doing really well, won the championship. I kind of felt that Shane didn't do that at enough opportunities this year. He kind of just decided to blame everything else under the sun rather than going, you know what, I'm just going to deal with the, the consequences, deal with the stuff that I've got under me and just deliver and try and perform well. There were times where he, clearly there was a steering issue, but instead of pushing hard and maybe doing something with it where it probably could and not make a mistake or not be in the car and deliver some form of results, he kind of went, nah, it's just in the two-hour basket. I'll put it in the in the pits and away I go. And yes, that's safety. get that part. But there was also some times where you kind of like, is it just in the head? If the team's saying that the car's okay, just go out and do something with it. Try and at least rectify something and get a result. And I just felt that he didn't do that enough opportunity at enough times during the year. And that ultimately cost him in the championship because I reckon any time you calculated that and how many points he probably lost, that was probably the difference between him and Brody in the end. One person took the scenario, went, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to do the best I can. The other one sort of went, eh, I'm going to complain. I'm going to do different things about it. And then in the end, that was that was what happened. One got the results, one didn't. And Shane leaves the sport now. I, I wish him well. I think he'll do extremely well at NASCAR. I think there's going to be certain uh, events next year where we'll sit there and go, that's the Shane we know from the past three years. But it's just really disappointing that this year we just didn't get the best of Shane in, in a lot of different scenarios. And I kind of felt that that's what hurt the sport a lot this year. Mm. We kind of really didn't get the best Shane. And if we kind of got the best Shane kind of think we got, might have got a better spectacle of of, of yeah. supercars and the championship battle. But in the end, I kind of feel that, yeah, we just... Everything just went... The, the, the season finale, where, where it was ended in turn four or five, literally summed up the season. Every single time, it was bandied as the ultimate fight, the ultimate this, the ultimate that. It just kind of then got deflated in some weird way. It fizzled out. It yeah. just fizzled out, and that's exactly what yeah. happened. And... I kind of feel that feel that that was Shane's season. 
anytime he promised us something or could show us that that's the Shane of old, it then just fizzled out the next event. I didn't like it. I just didn't think think it was fair to a lot of the, the, the fans in the sport. And yeah, I, I kind of feel that yeah, we were, we were not neglected, but there was a there was a there was something better on the line that could have happened, and we just didn't get it. Happy Shane was fast Shane, and I think he's going to be happy in NASCAR next year. Bring so it on! I think we'll be seeing the best of his driving when he heads over to the US. His teammate Brock Feeney, really good improvement um, from Brock compared to 2022. He became much closer to, to Shane more consistently. Every you know he went from being a you know a frequent top ten, sometimes top five runner, to being a driver who every weekend was at the pointy end in contention for podiums. Five race victories over the course of the season. Ended up third in the championship. Got a bit unlucky at some races, particularly Bathurst, where he left a lot of points on the table. But yeah, really, you know, established himself as somebody who's going to be a front runner in supercars for quite a long time. Now, again, this is a driver who you tipped him to win the championship at the start of the year. I said that he was going to come third, and he did end up third. But certainly, overall, his performances were around the money of of where we expected him to be. I've given him a distinction. Well, based on where I thought he'd finish, I probably should give him a foul, shouldn't I? No, I didn't. I definitely didn't give him a foul. I gave him a distinction, and probably almost, well, yeah. a, almost a distinction plus, to be brutally honest. I thought he had an outstanding season, and, and he took another step. And I, I didn't think that we'd see another step in him so quickly, but he took another step. And there, was time, there were times where he was the Sunday specialist, where he put the car on pole, win the race, and, and dominate a weekend. So I guess... The key for him heading into 2024 is consistency because we know what he can do now. We know he can win a race. We know he can put the car on pole. But there were a couple of times during the year where he still was in that P nobody. Taylor Gold Coast. Well, the Ben was one. Gold Coast was Mm -hmm. another. And a little bit of Adelaide as well. So, and obviously he won in Adelaide last year. But if you remember last year in Adelaide, he didn't, he qualified well, but it qualified okay, but he was able to use the race strategy to get to the lead, and that's what ended up helping him out in that regard. So there's still a little bit of a frontier to go in terms of qualifying and and that outright pace. I mean, if you look at if you look at Brody and one of the reasons why he won the championship, he took the most poles this year, so he put himself on the front foot to get the the race result by putting himself as high as he could. I still feel that Brock needs to get that next level, and it's something that's going to be very interesting next year between him and Will Brown because Will Brown was quick as well um, this year. So if Will Brown beats him in qualifying, then that sets up the whole situation for Will where if we're doing double stacking, Will's always going to have the advantage over Brock. So Brock's really going to need to lift that that part of his game to be successful next year. But yeah, he was, he was outstanding. And there were times where he was the number one driver in that team. And I reckon at the start of the year, if a lot of people said Brock would be the number one, you probably would have said they went, no, that's not going to happen. But there were times where Brock was the number one. And at, at Townsville, his team told Shane to move over for him because they classified him as the number one for that weekend. So Brock had an extraordinary year. And um, yeah, he, he will be certainly one of the championship favourites for next year. One last team to go, and that is Walkinshaw Andretti United. So Chaz Moster, at the beginning of the year, we predicted him to come, I said second, you said third. Third, he ended up fourth. I think probably some of the forward parity issues contributed to him not quite getting into the top three, but he still ended up as the best forward driver in the championship, despite the fact that he didn't win any races 
And he always seemed to maximise the car, even when it wasn't going that well, and he didn't make many mistakes. So on the basis of him always seemingly maximising the package that was underneath him, I've given him a distinction. I've given him a credit because he didn't win a race this year. So if you compare his year to previous years where he at least won a race, uh, he didn't win a race this year. Mm. Kind of a bit like Will Davison. Very anonymous for certain parts of the year where he just put the points in the bank and moved on to the next race and without really setting the world on fire. And it was funny when we got to Bathurst, everyone was like, oh, Chaz and, and Lee will get together and uh, they'll have a weekend out and dominate at Bathurst like they did two years ago. And that never happened either. So... It was just a really off year for Chaz, whether that's dominated by off-field issues. Obviously, him and his engineer, Adam DeBore, ended their relationship at the end of the year through different factors. I'm not saying that they had a tiff or anything, but um, Adam's obviously left for, for his own reasons. And then you've got the situation where, where the car itself, obviously, with parity, just wasn't there. So it's um, it's an, it's been an interesting year for Chaz, and, and maybe... Maybe a fresh start with a new engineer might be really good for next year. And then there's obviously a situation where you'd expect the parity to be better for next year as well. But yeah, Chaz just didn't have a year where you would expe- you'd expect him to be much higher probably in the, in the championship ratings in terms of points because, yeah, you kind of expected him to get a couple of wins. And if he got the couple of wins, he probably would have been third or second in the championship. So he had a good year by not actually doing anything really on the track in terms of finishing fourth. But yeah, in terms of previous years, I just don't think he had a good year compared to other years. And that's why I've got him, got him with a credit. What I will say is he was only one of two drivers in the top nine that didn't win a race. Mm. So to still finish fourth is quite an achievement. And I think probably the other thing to add to that is that he absolutely demolished his teammate. So remember how earlier on I said that in terms of the points margin, the, the closest teammates were the DJR drivers. So the Walkinshaw Andretti United drivers had the widest gap between them in points. In fact, the, the gap of 1,057 points between Mossett and Percat at the end of the year was the biggest in the field, even bigger than the gap between Cameron Waters and Declan Fraser. So Mostert had 21 top 10 finishes compared to three for Percat, and for that reason, I've given Nick Percat, not to mention the facts that, so I said that he was going to come 10th in the championship, you said 16th, and he ended up 20th. All of those reasons, I've given Nick Percat a fail. Yeah, I probably needed to give him one too. I actually had him as a pass, probably pass, well, I had him a pass minus, but after you told me the points difference, uh, I think it's probably a fail, yeah. Um, he's lucky to still be on the grid next year, Nick Percat, albeit with a different team. Yeah, but he's also he's also got form on the board. I mean, like, it, so he, it's it's weird in a way because Walkinshaw and Andretti United are also owned by the same person, runs McLaren. And if we look at McLaren and what happened with Daniel Ricciardo, and you look at the situation where he had a pretty awful couple of years at McLaren, got kicked out, he's now at AlphaTauri, and more than likely he's going to be at, at Red Bull in the not-too-distant future as well. So... When you look at that scenario, you just wonder whether the environment for Nick was right and whether the situation was right. And obviously, parity was an issue this year, so he was always at a back. Fo- uh, he was always on the back foot uh, in relation to being uh, in a Ford and, and those sort of things as well. So maybe the new environment, the new circumstances, will give Nick a better lease of 
supercar's life and we can see the, the better performances from him. But yeah, when it comes to this year uh, and his performances, it's definitely at a fail. And um, yeah, if he performs again next year like he has this year, then certainly um, there will be questions about his future. But I'm pretty sure he's got a two-year deal. So he's at least got 12 months on his side to to try and find some mojo and try and find some confidence. And you never know. He might find his confidence. He might deliver some really good performances. And he might do what LeBrock's done. He might be that quiet achiever at the back of the field that punches into the top 10 and, and gets the top six. And the expectation on Nick will be... There won't be there won't be many expectations on Nick next year. He'll be with a team that, yes, has won a race. But predominantly, you kind of think of MSR as being in the bottom half of the, of the table. So if he goes and delivers and performs well above those expectations and sort of punches above the car's weight, well, again, you might see him rekindle his um, his form from previous years. So, look, this year, yep, fail, but I think it's pretty harsh to say Nick should be out of the sport entirely because he's got runs on a board. He's, he's a former race winner. He's, he's talented enough. There is clearly enough talent in there for him to warrant another drive somewhere else. And if you look at him as a driver and his form overall with his career compared to the guys that are looking to come through, I'm still going to pick Nick over there. We still keep our fingers crossed, don't we, that the Matt Stone racing environment will suit him a bit better than the Walkinshaw environment where he's been for the last couple of years, that's for sure. So that completes our review in terms of the drivers and their positions in the championship compared to what we predicted at the start of the year. So... Not that this was ever really a competition, but I managed to correctly predict the championship results of three out of the 25 drivers, and you managed to get four. Uh, Sorry, I got two, you got three, sorry. What's interesting, though, is that when we averaged our predictions, they were generally quite close to uh, to each driver's final championship position, but uh, we'll do it all again in 2024. Bring it on. And that wraps up the 2023 motorsport season. Thank you for listening to all of the Checkered Flag Chat podcasts we've punched out this year. For 2024, it's a similar sort of plan. We'll do our Supercars season preview and review podcasts, as well as pre-event podcasts for all of the big Bathurst endurance races, the 6-hour, the 12-hour, and the 1,000, and might slot a few others in there along the way as well. But until then, this is Lockie Mansell signing off. Have a safe and happy off-season, and I'll see you trackside in 2024.